Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Thank you. You guys can be seated. Good job, guys. Yay, you did it. Good job. You guys did so good. Good afternoon. Let me pray for us real quick. Heavenly Father, as we just read, uh, this psalm has some amazing promises in it. It paints a picture of a life spent satisfied and in peace. And I pray, Lord, that this afternoon that you would... uh, that you would allow the Holy Spirit to dwell here in this room slash garage and that you would go to work to soften our hearts, that you would help us begin to start running towards you, our good shepherd. God, I pray that you would use me in spite of me. And as I preach, God, I pray that these truths would become more and more real to those in this room, including myself. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, it's kind of a cheat psalm, right? Because like everyone knows Psalm 23. Like I love when Chris is given an opportunity to text, uh, to, uh, like to pick whatever text he wants because he always gets like some really obscure text in the Old Testament. And I cheat and go for like, let's do John 3.16 or Psalm 23, just like something super simple and low-hanging fruit. Uh, interestingly, Psalm 23 is something that we all probably are somewhat familiar with. I actually memorized it as a little kid in Spanish, but the funny thing is that I had no idea what I was doing. So my grandma every now and then would take me to school and she would say, have me say, And I did not realize until I became an adult that I knew one Bible verse my entire life and it was in Spanish and it was Psalm 23 verse one. Um, so this is kind of a shout out to my Nana. What up, Nana? Psalm 23 is a beautiful poem. And as you read it, it sounds almost too good to be true. Like, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. It sounds like this future heavenly promise that we're all longing for. But the thing is about Psalm 23 is that every verse with the exception of the last two are talking about right now. These verses tell us that there is a type of transcendent satisfaction and peace that's available to those who are following Jesus. So the question is, as you read this, as you read this, like this idea of not being in want, 
being rested and a soul being restored, is that you? Does that, does that represent your life on a regular daily basis? And I'll be the first to admit, for me, the answer would be not exactly. <laughs> Let's start at verse one and take a deep dive. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That is by, a time, by the way, the only time you'll ever hear me preach in Spanish. You just got it. It's done. And it probably was brutal too. Like my mom was in the back probably like that was not Spanish. <laughs> I shall not be in want. This is, I don't think we quite realize how foreign this idea is to us. Because in many ways to be an American is to want. Our entire lived experience is programmed for us to have a longing for something that we have yet to obtain. The American dream is not to be happy, it's the pursuit of happiness. Our entire economic way of doing things is for us to uh, desire to experience, to own, to do, to accomplish. It's what runs the engine. We are a part of a cog. And I'm not like, this isn't some like uh, theoretical idea here. This is really Keynesian economics. Like we are meant to desire. We are designed as Americans to desire and not to be happy with where we're at. As a matter of fact, uh, George Bush, the former president, right after 9-11, when the economy was shut down, he got up in front of everybody, and here's the quote. The most American thing you can do is leave your house and buy something. You see, our entire lives, if you don't realize, maybe you have, is spent thinking that satisfaction is just around the corner. Like if just this one or two puzzle pieces would just fit together in my life. If only this relationship, if only this person, if only this career goal, if only the house, if only the upgrade, if only, if only whatever, if only the kids. Like we always live with this expectation that I would be so much more satisfied if just this one thing. But as we all probably know, whenever that one thing finally clicks in the place, that satisfaction, let's be honest, is short-lived. There's always a hill on the other side. That satisfaction melts away and we're ready to pursue something else. The question is though, what if you weren't meant to live that way? What if you were created by God designed today to live satisfied, peaceful lives, no matter your circumstances. That's what David's getting at, the person who wrote Psalms. And not, I'm not talking about like David the king with all the praise and the privilege and the people loving and adoring him and all of his power. I'm talking about David in exile. The David who was ran from his house He's with a small group of friends hiding in caves in a desert. They are probably thinking that like the family that they left behind are being killed. So like while all that is happening out there, here's David in a cave writing this poem. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Which is like side note, if we're like hanging out with David in the cave, we're like one of his boys that stood by him and we're freaking out. And we look over to David and he's like 
like the big Lebowski style, like, hey man, everything's cool. I'd be like, dude, what is wrong with you? You're really upsetting me right now. If Psalm 23 feels foreign to you, if you've lived a life, if you're currently living a life of wanting and waiting and working, then the question is, is the Lord your shepherd? Because if the Lord is your shepherd, you shall not be in want. He leads you to green pastures and still waters. He restores your soul. Are you looking to God today to satisfy your soul? Or are you relying on a goal, an outcome, some greener grass promise? You know what it's like? It's, it's like fishing. Not like the boring one where you like hold a stick over still water. It's boring, I promise it is. I've done it twice. I'm talking about fishing the pH kind. Fishing is like when you get that email from like, like some foreign prince and he's like, hey, I saw you on Instagram and I want you to have $100,000. All you gotta do is send me 10 grand or whatever, right? Or like it's somebody who tells you like some aunt somewhere that you never met left you 10 grand and all you gotta do is wire them $2,000 to finish the paperwork. You guys know what I'm talking about? And when you get those, I don't know about you guys, but for me, I'm like, there's no way this is tricking everybody. And then I read an article this week about a billionaire in Japan that was fished out of $29 million. Like, what? Someone explained to me how this person figured it out at million number 29. They're like, maybe this isn't a real thing. Like, because for me, if I get like an Apple charge for $1.29, I'm like, who did it? Who bought the story or who bought the song? And normally ends up being me. I just didn't realize it. Here's my point. There are false shepherds in your life that are fishing you right now. They are taking you for far more than $29 million. They are robbing you of your satisfaction and of your peace. They are saying to you, do you want happiness? Do you want fulfillment? Do you want to be satisfied? Do you want the good night life? Here, go for this. Accomplish that. Do this. If only these things were to fall into place, if only this relationship, if only, if only, and then, and then you will be satisfied. And the kicker about these false shepherds is that they're always going to demand more and more and more from you, and they will always deliver less and less and less. Andy Crouch wrote a book called Playing Gods, and he, uh, I love that Danny talked about idols he, he puts it in, in a version of, he, he words it in a way that talks about idolatry. Here's what he says. <clears throat> All idols begin by offering great things for a very small price. All idols then fail more and more consistently to deliver on their original promises while ratcheting up their demands, which initially seemed so reasonable. In the end, they fail completely. Even as they make categorical demands, idols ask for more and more while giving less and less until eventually they demand everything and give nothing. You see, false shepherds are always asking you to do something 
to grind and to work. They are fleecing the flock. They are promising satisfaction but delivering slavery. False shepherds are keeping us distracted from what we really need. And what we really need, according to Psalm 23, is a spiritual rest, a restoration and a renewal that is not something that we have to work for, but some uh, uh, transcendent gift that we receive from our creator. Hmm. We, it is interesting to me that the idea of finally like accomplishing, finally finding rest that we have bought into, at least maybe I should talk about myself. I often buy into this idea that I still need to work for it or that I need to keep myself distracted. There's this, uh, this British poet, W.H. Auden, and he uh, moved here from, from Europe in the 19, late 1940s, early 50s. And he came for the American dream, but when he got here, he saw this. He saw that America was becoming this, this uh, anxious culture. And so he wrote this beautiful poem that's a short story in length called The Age of Anxiety. And here's how it opens. He talks about these people hanging out at the bar. Here's what he says. Faces along the bar cling to their average day. The lights must never go out. The music must always play. Lest we should see where we are lost in a haunted wood, children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. I don't know if you catch it, but it's like, it's this idea that like, don't stop, keep going. Don't turn off the lights. Don't turn off the music because in the stillness, we'll realize that we're longing and wanting and we'll be haunted. We'll realize that we're just like children afraid of the night who have never been happy or good. It's like the false shepherds don't want us to see that their promises are bankrupt and so they keep us moving. What Psalm 23 is reminding us is that only God can deliver on those kind of promises. Only God, our creator, could bring us rest and the satisfaction that we are all looking for. And he's saying to us, you don't have to work for this. You don't have to climb a hill or prove yourselves. Simply come to me and you will find rest. I will bring you towards green pastures. Look at verse two. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. I love that it says he makes me. Like we are so bad often at resting. And resting, like, like the Sabbath is a part of like the big 10, you know what I mean? And we care a lot about the other ones. Like if someone walked up to you and be like, hey, um, I think my spouse is lying to me. You'd be like, oh no, like what, tell me what's going on. Or if they're like, hey, I think, uh, I think they're cheating on me. You'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. How are you doing? Or if you're like, oh, you know, I, I think, uh, I think they might've committed murder. You'd be like, wait, what? But if someone walked up to me and be like, hey, I don't know how to say this, but um, 
my spouse sent an email on Sabbath Sunday, and it was a work email. Like, we, we would never say that because we don't care about rest, right? Like, nobody puts a higher priority on the fact that the Lord God wrote it into his top 10 for you to have rest, and we just bypass that. We make excuses for it or we cut it short. God wants you to rest. He wants you to lay down. We need to stop going towards these false shepherds and asking them what we need to have a restored soul. My wife, uh, my wife drives what our family calls the Millennium Falcon. It's not fast, but it is a hunk of junk and it's silver. So that's why we call it the Millennium Falcon. And it's like, I think it's approaching 20 years old right now. Uh, and I mean, this thing's a thing, you know, like when, when she was at a hundred thousand miles, I told her when she hits 150, we'd get her a car. And then she hit 150 and I was like, I mean, 200 is right around the corner right now. She's at 217 and I'm like, baby, you can go for 300. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome if she can get it to 300? Like she should, like, I think it'd be amazing. And it's, it's wild. Like the leather seats are all messed up like the bluetooth sometimes works most of the time doesn't the window decides when it wants to roll up or down but my favorite thing is that there's these bugs living in her car that come about like seasonally so they'll disappear for a really long time and then like they'll come home for school and the kids will be like dad the bobs are back because we call them bob because we don't know what they are and so like they'll crawl out of her broken leather seats and then they'll like roll down the window and we're like you're free bob you're free 300,000 guys, we're going for it. Here's the thing though, at 100,000 miles, <laughs> at 100,000 miles, uh, we were having a lot of issues and we didn't think it was gonna last as long as it has. I mean, like it was one of those things where like every three months we were taking it in and spending like three, four, five hundred dollars There's some coils in the, in the engine that kept breaking down basically. Uh, I remember one time right around Christmas, I think we spent like $1,200 on this thing. And it was like, it, by the amount of money that we were spending every two or three months to fix the car, it was kind of like, is it even worth it? And it got to the point, like when you're fixing a car that often, you start to look for the cheapest mechanic that can get it done the fastest because you know you're going to be in there like 90 days later, right? Well, one time, uh, and I was actually listening to Dr. Eric Mason. He reminded me of this. One time... Um, we had no other choice. We had to take it to the Ford dealership. And we get there and he gave us this big old spiel on how what we need to do is use Ford parts. And it was like, yeah, sure, you just want me to spend more money. So anyways, they replace the coils with the parts made by the maker. And sure enough, it worked. We solved the problem. We were no longer there every three or four months. Why am I saying this? Because what we need is we need to stop taking our desires to the things that don't know us, to people who can't help us, to stuff that offers us a quick and cheap and easy fix. What we need to do is go to our maker because only he can be our true shepherd. Only he can satisfy our souls. Only he knows what we need to fix the problem, to bring us rest and satisfaction for our tired and exhausted lives. Why? Because he's our maker. He made us and he knows us and he loves us. 
in a way that only God, your creator, could love you. False shepherds will lead us to death, but our one true shepherd will lead you to rest which will bring forth, spring forth a satisfaction in peaceful life that is not of this world. Take a look at verse three. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. This is, uh, this actually holds the entire Psalm together. And here's why. Because God is not saying to us, come to me and I will provide you all those things that you're longing for. I will make that last puzzle piece fit and work for you. What he's saying is that what you really need is me. God's glory is so awesome and so wonderful that being in the presence of it is what you were created to do. And so that longing, that tiredness, that exhaustion is ultimately a lack of God's glory in our lives. See, God's glory and our joy are cosmically and forever interlinked with one another. His glory is the solution for our souls. You today, right now, and me are not lacking a thing or a circumstance. We don't need the project to be finished in order to be satisfied. If we are longing, ultimately what we are longing for is our creator. And finally, reassurance. Here's what it goes on to say. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, only God, our true shepherd, knows how to lead us through the valley of shadows. Only God can bring you reassurance in the darkest of days. Uh, inevitably, if a pastor talk, talk about something about God being a shepherd, they tell you about sheep. And I wanted to avoid it because it's such a cliche, but I did learn something really interesting about sheep. And it's like the kind of stuff that only matters to a pastor or a preacher. Like I, this is absolutely not applicable to any other part of my life, but it is pretty interesting. So sheep actually have a fantastic sense of knowing when they're in danger. They have a heightened sense of either smell or feeling or sight, whatever it may be. Sheep know that a wolf is after them, but they have such a heightened sense that they actually cannot figure out where the danger is or how it's coming. So what ends up happening, sheep left to their own devices will run away and corner themselves to be eaten or there's reports that sheep have run away from wolves and ran right off of a cliff to their own death. Like sheep know they're in danger, but they don't know what to do about it. And I think there's some application here to our lives because often we're like, I, I know that something isn't right, but I'm not really sure I can do something about it. The thing is, is that we need to trust our senses over our own, I'm sorry, we need to trust our senses and our feelings less and start trusting direction from God for our lives. And I love that, that in the middle of this idea of peace, of not wanting and of rest, that it does not ignore the tough times. This isn't ignorant bliss like some, you know, monk that like moves off to the mountain and is ignoring everything that's happening around him. 
this is not ignorant bliss. It is blessed reassurance that God has got you. Because you see that the, the good life that we're called all to live, this American good life, is really ultimately about avoiding the valleys. It's about doing everything we can to not feel uncomfortable. We do everything we can to situate our lives so that nothing bad happens. But Christianity is about accepting the valleys and trusting that God is doing his best work in there. It's knowing that God is on your side. It's feeling his rod and his direction to say, hey, let's go this way. And this is far different than, than what I think that lived experience tells us that we should do. Because I think oftentimes what we're invited to do is maintain distraction, right? Like when times are hard and we have anxious thoughts, we go to like that game on our phone or that social media that we love and we never actually sit in prayer and rest and lean in on who God is and what he's doing in those moments. We just wanna maintain distraction. And if I'm being, something that I've observed too, at least in my life, is when I'm being a busy parent, I tend to uh, desire distraction over discipleship with my kids. Like if my kids are like, hey, I wanna play with that thing, I'm not thinking, man, is he coveting? Can I teach him how to share? How can I walk him through this? Instead, it's like, oh, you want that? Well, here's something else shiny. Come over here. Look over here. There's something nice over here. Or like when our kids are upset or frustrated, we're like, here, snack, treat, treat, snack, snack, treat, right? Like ultimately what we're doing is we're distracting our children rather than discipling our children. And my fear, my fear is like in the Old Testament when it tells us that uh, they inherit the sins of our parents. My fear is that we are living in an anxious age and that we are going to pass that along to our kids rather than discipling them into knowing their God and knowing what he has for them. Lastly is restoration. Here's what it says. This is the part that starts talking about heaven. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house forever. Hmm. First off, there's this weird little section where he says you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. That could sound as though God's like, I'm gonna show off my awesomeness to your enemies in a way that's like, nah, 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 like I win, you lose. But that's actually not what it's talking about here. What it's doing is it's, it's, it's almost like there's this sense that one day you're going to look back at all of the tough times, out of all the hardest moments in your life, and God's going to be like, remember that? Remember those dark days. Now look at it from my perspective. You see, you weren't sure how you were going to get through that. You didn't know that there was purpose for that, but I was there with you. It's almost like we're going to realize that in those moments, we thought that those circumstances had control over us, but one day we will see fully how God had control over those circumstances. That's what it means by you, you, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. One day we will fully know exactly how God was working in the toughest of times for our lives. 
And that ought to bring us a sense of hope as we are traveling through the shadow of the valley of death. Um, Verse six, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I love this. God is after his children. He is for your joy. He wants to offer satisfaction and peace as a free gift to you. Everything else in our lives is a quid pro quo. It's you got to climb the ladder, accomplish this, prove yourself there. But Christianity and following Jesus is something totally different. The work has been done and it's done so that you can rest in it. And it actually says that God is after you. It's like he's chasing after you with his joy, his peace, and his blessing. Do you believe that he's after you or do you believe that he's holding it back like a carrot on a stick? It reminds me of this, like, um, again, going towards kids. <laughs> when I was a kid and I needed to get out of the pool, I'd do that thing that all the other kids do, which is like you get underwater and you come up and you're like, Oscar, Oscar. And you're like, oh, you were calling me? I had no idea. The other day I was at this uh, at party and this kid was doing that. He was like coming up out of the water and then going down. His mom's trying to call him and she looks over at me. And it's like, it's cake time. And he like, he's been looking forward to the cake. This is what he wants. I'm trying to get him out of the pool so that he can have exactly what he's here to do. And finally the kid comes up and the mom's like, it's cake. And the dude ran out of the pool like if it was on fire. See, his mom was chasing after him from the very thing that he wanted while he was running away from her. God is not holding back his blessing from his children. God is inviting you to freely into knowing and experiencing this kind of peace and joy today. What God is saying to you is come, come to me, all you who are weary. And so the invitation to us is like, are you tired? Are you anxious? Have you been longing for something to satisfy you? Do you feel like comfort or the good life is just around the corner? God is like, no, this isn't a carrot on a stick game. This is right now in my presence. I am your comfort. I am your joy. I am your satisfaction. He is after you. He is pursuing you. Stop swimming the other way. He's inviting you to a feast. Hmm. He's inviting you to rest and to celebrate. Ultimately, this idea of God pursuing us is an invitation to repent. Because if we've been following after false shepherds, we can know that the one true shepherd is after us, that he leaves the 99 to go after the one. In John chapter 10, Jesus reveals himself. This is where we're going to close. Jesus reveals himself as the shepherd of Psalm 23. He does it a couple of times. I'm going to flip there now. First in 10, I, I think if it's up here, I'm going to change it up a little bit. There's one just before that, and then we're going to go there. So first, early on, he says this. The sheep hear my voice. And he that is God calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. And when he has brought out his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. 
a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then later on, he says, after some people challenge him on what he means, he says, jumping down to verse 25, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hands. Friends, Jesus gave his life to be your one true shepherd. How can you know and experience this satisfaction? How can you be the kind of person to be able to say honestly, wholeheartedly, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. How can you feel as though you are laying down in green pastures that you find rest and restoration for your soul? If you're not experiencing that now, Jesus is after you. Hear his voice calling for you to come home and find rest for your souls. Know that his glory is what you need and nothing else. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.